This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to Done and Done. I'm Alicia, your hostess on this podcast journey, all things Dominic Dunn, where nothing is linear and everything is connected. Thank you for joining me today as we continue our heiress tour, changing locations just a little bit. Welcome to Newport. It's been waiting for you. We have so many previous heiresses weaving their way in and out of Newport society, and we are going to cover a few more heiresses in great detail in the coming weeks as well. It's time to pile into our time machine trolley today for an introduction to Newport, Rhode Island. This is a Gilded Age colony like no other. It becomes a playground for the really obscenely wealthy in time, with Newport making its big-time Gilded Age entrance in about the 1880s. But Newport does not begin that way. Newport actually begins blossoms, and then thrives as a bastion of liberal freedom with so many folks from all kinds of cultures practicing whatever kind of religion they want to beginning in 1639. This episode of Done and Done is a journey in time and space, getting to know the history and the buildup to that famous summer colony of the Gilded Age. Today, we are going to roll from about the 1500s to about the 1870s, covering quite a lot in our investigation today. Before we begin our episode, though, I do have a spyglass here to give some huge thanks and praise to our most recent supporters on patreon.com slash done and done with many, many thanks, Wendy and Fan. Holy cats, y'all are the best. A big shout out to you as well as all of our Patreon investigators getting ad-free and early episodes, not done yet bonus episodes, and more, including our Dominic Dunn Book Club beginning in October. Really grateful to all of y'all and you, yeah you, for joining me today for this ride into history, heiresses, and homes. Welcome to Newport. It's been waiting for you. Let's investigate. Newport, Rhode Island does not really begin as a high society playground. Its development might surprise you a bit. It's going to take a few hundred years to develop into its Gilded Age legend of high-dollar homes and high-society heiresses. Let's go back just a little bit into history and talk about the origins of Newport. Its indigenous Native American people are the Narragansett, who were super friendly and welcoming when that first Italian explorer comes to their shores in 1534, just right into Narragansett Bay. It doesn't go great for the Native Americans in time. 
as pretty much within a hundred years their population has been ravaged by European disease, as well as two generations of English settlers arriving. And originally, with new settlers coming in, they were very much, in the beginning, go with the flow. This land belongs to you, thanks for sharing what you have and all of that. But two generations later, by the time King Philip's War happens, it's bad for the Native Americans. That's what's happening in the North America land. What's happening over in England? The Protestant Reformation is shaking England up. And here's the thing. (laughs) Every single type of other religion, besides what is being enforced and legislated within England, all of those groups, will GTFO to the New World. And herein lies a problem for many settlements. You have all kinds. Anyone who disagrees with the Protestant Reformation, so any and all fringe groups, pilgrims, Quakers, Baptists, anti-Baptists, those are all going to establish religions over in the New World. You have already established religions as well, Catholics, Jews, any type of group that isn't in for the Protestant Reformation, all of them have an opportunity in the New World. But within all of those groups, nobody agrees. This is not a Settlements of the Colony podcast, but I do think it's key to note that the (laughs) fracture among all of these varying religious groups and entities who would all like to do as they please end up having a lot of problems with other groups doing what they please. It's kind of a hot mess. So as settlements are happening in the New World and spinning off, you'll have quite a few folks because of their beliefs, fringe or not, at least fringe for the settlement they're in. Some folks uh, decide they're just going to go over here and make a new thing, or some folks get kicked out of where they were because maybe they think the village is terrible or maybe they're terrible and just get kicked out for, you know, reasons. It goes down a lot of different ways for a few folks that are really important into expanding the smaller societies into the colonies. But what I want you to know is the fringe is getting fringier. Everywhere except for Newport. Here's the deal. In April 1639, nine men and their families will leave nearby Portsmouth looking to establish a different kind of place. These men and their families are looking to establish, it's a radical experiment, really, a society where you have the liberty of conscience. Big deal here. You can practice whatever faith you want. Knock yourself out. It turns out, not just the nine families, but a lot of other folks like this idea. Newport, important to mention, is a port city. It turns out as a port city, Farming doesn't go as great as they thought it was going to go. And so sea-type activities come to take precedence. Newport becomes a huge port town in trading. Trading both imports and exports. Not only what's being made in and around Newport, which handles all kinds of things, most especially rum, but furniture, rope making, sales, candle wax, everything. There's a thriving town here. 
Newport is also importing goods just about everything from everywhere. Not only goods, but also, unfortunately, enslaved people as well. Again, 17th century, not a great time for African Americans in the world, especially the New World. The settlers in Newport, they're going to build a great common. This is now the heart of the oldest part of Newport, Rhode Island, currently called Washington Square. Newport has an expansive economy with literally all kinds of people doing all kinds of things, but Newport here is going to unify with some other colonies, some other settlements around it, and will form into the colony of Rhode Island. Here's what's extraordinary. The colony of Rhode Island is granted a charter from King Charles II. Why is this a big deal? All colonies have their charters. Sure they do. But this charter from King Chuck II is a first in history. First time in history, this charter allows the monarch the monarch grants permission for this place to practice a religion that is something different than what has been sanctioned by the crown. This is legendary. It's the first time ever a monarch sanctions a policy of religious tolerance. King Chucky II provides this charter writing to hold forth a lively experiment that a most flourishing civil state may stand yea, and be best maintained with the full liberty in religious concernments. No person within said colony shall be in any wise molested, punished, disquieted, or called in questions for any differences in opinion in matters of religion. This is huge, big deal in history. Newport, as a bustling colony town, really does stand out among settlements, and it will continue to do so. It's kind of incredible. There's a building of city government functions. There are a ton of churches that are founded in Newport. Again, the Baptists, the Quakers, the Seventh-day Adventists. It turns out there's some Jewish folks from Spain and Portugal who, with the Spanish Inquisition, had gotten the heck out of Europe They've been hanging out in southern locations. They're coming back in to Newport. Catholics as well. Anglicans arrive onto the picture. Even enslaved and free blacks assemble here in Newport, first time ever at the African Unity Society. Cotton Mather, who was a big-time religious reformer of his day, is so mad about Newport and all of this flourishing of people getting along, (laughs) that he calls, Cotton Mather does, Newport a cesspool. Turns out there's this whole group of congregationalists who ally up. They form a little posse, and they're going to infiltrate Newport to wipe out all of this nonsense. Those congregationalists are so taken in by the life, the culture, the community that they see in Newport that the Congregationalists end up converting to support all of this religious liberty. And investigators, I don't want to blow any kind of sunshine here or pretend this is all filled with cupcakes. 
there are enslaved folks. Slavery is very much a thing, but it is in Newport that Reverend Hopkins begins his movement towards abolitionism, citing the very thing that they're all doing in the community. Here in Newport, all the virtues, all the things we extol that we believe in are not happening. We're not living to those ideals if we are still enslaving folks. In Newport, about a third of the family were slave owners. 10% of Newport's population were of African descent. Again, no sunshine, no cupcakes, none of it is great. But in Newport, because of the community (laughs) really trying to work to get it right, enslaved folks are given an education. They know how to read and write. They work in trades. Enslaved folks are given the opportunity to buy their freedom from their families. One other thing that you'll see happening in Newport as well, many families will voluntarily free their slaves as they realize what they're holding on to and that it's not really worth it. Again, let's put some worms in the cupcakes here. Jewish folks and Catholic folks do not have the ability to vote or hold office. So when I say Newport is this great utopia, it's it's not for everyone, but comparatively to other places in the colonies, Newport is a bastion of creating the society you want to live in. Remember here, the colonies, the New World, it's still ruled by a king. But Newport here smells a lot like success. This grand liberal experiment that the citizens of Newport are pulling off is really kind of incredible, doing really well. For a number of decades, Newport booms. Its golden age is really from the 1700s all the way through to the American Revolution. Newport thrives all the cultural diversity, all the trade. You have craftsmen because it's a port town. You have a lot of seafaring men. This allows an extraordinary amount of women, more than other most towns, to hold a large number of those jobs in the port city because the men aren't around to do it. Women run a whole lot of things in Newport that would not happen more inland. This won't be the first time we see women running things in Newport when we get to the Gilded Age. Here, though, in this flourishing, these 80 years or so in Newport, rum is huge. Newport is also the port that you'd go into to avoid taxes if you were perhaps a rum runner or playing in piracy or privateering, whatever you may want to call it on a given day. A little bit incredible to think about, Newport is the fifth largest city within the American colonies, coming in at number five after Boston, Philadelphia, New York City, and Charleston. Newport is not only thriving in this religious diversity idea, but it also has a whole lot of society. Newport is visited by traveling theater which is not approved in a lot of other places in and around the colonies. Newport has art and music and opera. Newport begins the very first and currently oldest library in the United States. It's called the Redwood. 
The Redwood was built and has been collecting books from 1750. This harbor town really does have an incredible history from the 1600s onward. But it is key to note here that by the 1770s, the colonies are changing, and it is these changes that will break Newport apart. The American Revolution will end this glorious age of Newport, at least this glorious age. In Newport, many folks remain loyal to the king. Remember, Newport exists because King Charles II said it could. It is all under his largesse and permission. Some other folks in Newport, though, think the king can rightly stuff it. During the Revolution, Newport Harbor is closed, and the closing of the harbor will cause many families to flee the area. And really, from after the American Revolution to the mid-19th century, Newport is a little bit depressed. Economically, absolutely depressed. There's no building. There's no new construction. There's not any kind of active growth happening. There comes along a Great Depression after the Great Flourishing of Newport. And I guess this may be lucky for Newport. This lack of anything happening in Newport for decades leaves more 18th century buildings in Newport, Rhode Island than anywhere else in the United States. Newport and its old city, its colonial walks, its homes, its building, its architecture styles, simply incredible. Newport was a colonial jewel of the empire, and so much of it remains today for you to visit and enjoy. When I get to Newport one day, I can't wait to see all of that, but only after I tour Bellevue Avenue. Bellevue Avenue is going to begin its heyday after this depression in Newport. And holy cats, it's going to come back around again in ways no one ever anticipated. When I say that Newport suffers a depression, plenty of folks still live in Newport. It's not like it got deserted. But as places go... Nobody's really touched Newport in about 50 years after the American Revolution. So within our time frame here, we are ripe and looking at the 1820s, 1830s for new places to go. Wow, that Newport, Rhode Island, it sure is a quaint place to visit. Look at all this history and all those 17th and 18th century buildings. And well, land too. The climate is super nice, especially in the summer. But did I mention the land? Here you have a bunch of old farmland, abandoned land, land that can be sold, sitting in a harbor port town with a depressed economy, living with its failed religious experiment and just getting by. But again, how quaint. It is going to be from the southern states, southern planters, southern industrialists, they are going to come right on up to Newport and take advantage of this land grab, so to speak. Here there is going to be a new <laughs> crop of building. When I say building from that old town, Washington Square, the old colonial area, honestly, folks are going about 5,000 feet over from Washington Square. But soon enough, Bellevue Avenue is about to exist. 
there wasn't a Bellevue Avenue. Bellevue originally was just a whole bunch of abandoned colonial farms until this particular idea comes to fruition. See, Alfred Smith and his partner Joseph Bailey bought the land in and around Bellevue Avenue. What will be that? But it's not that yet. So Alfred and Joe Bailey convinced the town of Newport to lay down tracks. Let's go ahead and make a road through this area and call it Bellevue Avenue. The city of Newport is in and they begin making a, I'm not going to say road, a wide pathway. And what do they say? If you build it, they will come and wowza, did they ever. Soon enough, this street, Bellevue Avenue, will become the most sought after real estate north of Manhattan. Let's go ahead and pause and take a quick break here to hear from our sponsors this week. When we come back, we are going to talk about how Newport gets developed from the 1820s, 1830s, all the way through the 1870s. Back in a minute. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Ladies and gentlemen. What are you doing? What do you mean? I'm making just keep it simple. I'm making the promo. Just keep it simple. Just say, hey, we're the Brav Bros. Two guys that talk about Bravo. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're the Brav Bros. No. Oh. Dude. Stop with the voice. Just the vo- keep it simple. I've seen promos on TV, dude. This is how you get the fans engaged. This is how you get listeners. We're trying to get listeners here. If we just say, oh, we're two dudes that talk about Bravo, people are going to get tired of it already. We need some oomph. All right, then fine. Let's try to do it with your voice. Brav bros. Good job. Oh, my. What do they say? If you build it, they will come. Bellevue Avenue is built or laid out. There's a track down. There's a dirt road. And here, over in this expansion of Newport, Rhode Island, it is hotels that happen first. The Bellevue House opens in 1828, becoming one of Newport's first grand luxury hotels. Town promoters are looking to refashion Newport a bit. They want to make it a city by the sea, a destination location, 
and hotels and resorts are absolutely going to bring the people to Newport. I found a wonderful paper from Brian M. Noth called Music and Dancing at the Queen of Resorts, the Impact of Germania Musical Society on Newport's Hotel Period. Again, all links for sources are available at doneanddone.com. These paragraphs from Brian Noth, I really do think, provide a very good idea of the phenomenal growth that is happening at this time in the Newport world. Little bit of hotel history here. The first real resort hotel in Newport, the Bellevue House, on Catherine Street, opened for business in 1828. Southerners who visited previously stayed in private homes or boarding houses where they could rent for the season. However, with a rising number of seasonal visitors, Newport became unable to accommodate the new influx of summer guests. Hotels like the Bellevue were built to meet the increased demand, while also equipping Newport with improved accommodations that featured an enhanced level of hospitality, comfort, and class. The Bellevue House advertised the most luxurious rooms, music, and dancing at the Queen of Resorts, with the best beds and mattresses, all entirely new, a bar stocked with premium wines and liquors, and fine dining, all for a reasonable price. By 1835, Newport had become so desirable as a destination that hotels and boarding houses became overcrowded. The city was sorely in need of an even more spacious first-class establishment that could serve its growing clientele. The Ocean House Hotel, which opened on Bellevue Avenue and East Bowery Street in 1844, would fill that need, while also definitively inaugurating the era of fashionable hotels in Newport. Immediately surpassing the grandeur of the Bellevue House and Newport's other smaller hotels, the four-stories-high Greek Revival Ocean House featured unprecedented accommodations and services in Newport for upwards of 300 affluent visitors. It was instantly successful, matching the most luxurious world-class hotels. The Ocean House offered vacationers top-notch accommodations, the finest dining, an array of pleasures, including a two-story portico, beautiful ocean and harbor views, refreshing sea breezes, and the best entertainments around. Rivaling the splendor of the Ocean House and further indicating Newport's rebirth and expansion as a summer destination, the Atlantic House Hotel opened in 1845 on Bellevue Avenue and Pelham Street. It also featured Greek Revival design elements, including a glistening white veranda that wrapped around three of its sides. Standing four stories high, it could accommodate an additional 250 summer guests for Newport. Like the Ocean House, the Atlantic House was also known for its top-notch amusements, featuring dances and balls on a regular basis. A number of other hotels opened and thrived over the following two decades, but well-to-do summer visitors considered the Ocean House and Atlantic House 
both eventually owned by brothers John and Joseph Weaver, the best in town. In 1854, Harper's new monthly magazine affirmed the importance of both hotels in Newport's economic revival. From about the year 1840 and the erection of the Ocean House and the Atlantic House may be dated the Renaissance of Newport. Oh, Newport thriving again. It is the first Renaissance of Newport, but they're about to have another one like you cannot believe. Let's go ahead and talk about a few more things here. The Fall River Line opens in 1847 throughout this hotel and resort building boom. What's the big deal about the Fall River Line? The Fall River Line provides direct rail service from New York City to Newport. Not just direct rail service, but direct rail service in style. You can travel first class now from New York City to Newport, and this Fall River Line only promotes the growth of this tourist town. Newport becomes a resort for the wealthy, a playground for amusement and pleasure, a little bit of R&R, typically fashioned for Southern folks trying to escape the heat of Southern summers. If you got a little cash, you may go to Newport. Things, though, in Newport will very much shift with the pending Civil War about to happen and the Civil War's fallout, which is actually the thing that gets Newport to its Gilded Age time period and the most famous summer colony perhaps ever. Let's unpack just a little bit more about Newport at this time. I found a wonderful piece from warwickhistory.com originally published Thursday, July 19th, 2012. And I think this particular piece called A Summer Season in Newport does nice work summing up a whole lot of information about Newport and its development through this time in a high-level overview kind of way. I think it really does set the scene for the next piece of our investigation and the people that float in and out of Newport as well as its new found customs. There isn't another place quite like Bellevue Avenue for a whole lot of years. It's a whole scene. How do we get there? What's happening in this period to get us there? Again, from warwickhistory.com, a summer season in Newport. By the 1890s, New York's elite were erecting enormous cottages like Alva Vanderbilt's Marble House. Even before the outbreak of the Civil War, the colonial town of Newport, Rhode Island, had caught the attention of wealthy New Yorkers. As New York City inched northward, swallowing up their summer estates, the wealthy looked for other resorts. Despite the long distance, the charm of Newport, coupled with the cooling sea breezes, created a refreshing respite from Manhattan heat and humidity. What is that distance? It's about 180 miles. Not insignificant, but again, after 1847, the Fall River Line is open. Trains are a thing. Newport is becoming easier and easier to get to by train or by steamboat. Continuing from the piece here, Newport's charming colonial architecture and atmosphere, along with its cooling seaside breezes, attracted the wealthy in the 1850s. 
Here I want to go ahead and add a little bit of a note. There are a number of homes that are built in this early period by Southern folks from the late 1830s through the 1860s up to the Civil War. A number of these homes originally built in this time of Newport's expansion will be bought and then upgraded by wealthy Northern families coming in. Just a thing to watch for in this story. This is not a lot of folks. Most people, when they come to Newport at the time, you're staying in a hotel. Private homes in this paradise are only slowly being built. You are staying at the Atlantic House. You're staying at the Bellevue House. You're staying at a hotel, a resort somewhere. Not a private home unless you've got a ton of cash. And again, building. We're going to talk about those houses in short order in this season. This is a fun one, y'all. Back to this piece. Even in 1856, when the young Belle Britton summered in Newport, preparations were arduous. The voluminous antebellum dresses, the many hats, gloves, and bags necessitated numerous trunks for a lady's wardrobe. Ms. Britton wrote to a friend on July 16th about the arrival of one woman's luggage. Quote, I forgot to mention the sensation produced by the arrival this morning of about 30 trunks belonging to a handsome New York widow, one of the trunks being about the size of an Irish shanty. I'm so glad as Pa scolded a little about the trunk I brought to pack my hoops in and called it Noah's Ark, but after seeing this huge dry goods warehouse in the hall today, he promised to laugh at mine no more. Like other visitors in 1856, Belle Britton stayed in a hotel. Here's another fun spiderweb I want you to know. Belle Britton is not who you think she is. It turns out Ms. Britton is a journalist, a male journalist, named Hiram Fuller. Hold my parasol! <laughs> Y'all, Hiram Fuller was born in Halifax, Massachusetts in September 1814, and whoa, this guy. Hiram begins teaching at the age of 16 and will become a principal of a school in Providence, Rhode Island in no time at all. So popular in Providence with the townspeople that the people of Providence, Rhode Island <laughs> will build Hiram a school on Green Street. This school was dedicated by no less than Ralph Waldo Emerson in 1837. Old Hiram has a lot of connections. I will let you know he gets in a little bit of beef with uh, Edgar Allan Poe and a libel suit. We're in this suit. Poe is awarded $225 owed by Hiram. So what's Hiram Fuller doing? He is writing these society letters from Newport under his alias, Belle Britton. These updates, these shocking and scintillating, scandalous updates are published for the mirror. Hiram's collection was published together in 1858 under the title of Belle Britain on a Tour. What I want to express here is the world is getting a view of Newport, Rhode Island, this hotel and resort colony at a time from a man who Hiram is going to be headed to the south in no time flat to fight for the Confederacy. There is no Belle Britain, but no one knows that. The public is fascinated by this glimpse of Newport, and to be fair, it always has been a pretty fascinating place. 
Let's go back to warwickhistory.com here. In 1857, Appleton's Illustrated Handbook of American Travel noted, quote, The flood of travel has called up to a number of magnificent hotels, of which the chief are the Ocean House at the south end of Bellevue Street, the Atlantic House at the head of Pelham Street, the Bellevue House on Catherine Street, the Aquidneck, and the Fillmore. Already the guide was calling Newport, quote, the most elegant and fashionable of all American watering places. By the end of the war, meaning the Civil War, the train line had been extended directly into Newport, making the trip much easier. As more and more people crowded into the hotels, private summer homes began cropping up. There was a burst of building, and in 1873, the New York Times commented, quote, There have not been as many new cottages built this year as last, yet, nevertheless, there has been as much money expended, although in a different direction. Real estate has changed hands. Alterations and improvements to cottages already built are being constantly made. Large sums of money have been laid out in beautifying lawns and hedges regarding and otherwise improving private drives. Having apologized for the drop in construction, the article then went on to describe approximately 15 new homes. H.G. Marquand, Esquire of New York on Rhode Island Avenue and Buena Vista Street, is having built a cottage but which a king might be proud of, the writer said. He went on to tell of the quote-unquote magnificent house for Mrs. G.S. Robbins of New York and quote-unquote the most expensive stable for F.W. Stevens. It's built of brick and together with the gardener's lodge and conservatory has cost $20,000. Hotels were no longer acceptable for New York's wealthy, Construction turned into a frenzy, with millionaires vying to outdo one another in throwing up larger and more palatial residences. I want you to remember that year, 1873, because here it's going to begin again in a whole new way. Here in this expansion post-Civil War, summer cottages will never be the same and neither will Newport, Rhode Island. But before we get to those summer cottages, we have to get to the casino, which is going to come along in 1880, and that is really going to change the way Newport plays, all because of a guy named Gordon Bennett. Gordon Bennett! If you're across the pond, you might say. It is a term of exclamation, consternation, astonishment, We are going to get into Gordon Bennett, his story, and the story of the Newport Casino coming on our next episode of Done and Done. Thank you one and all for joining me today as we welcomed to Newport. It has been waiting for us. I can't tell you how much I appreciate all the ways that you support me and the podcast for your kind reviews, for your kind emails, for telling your friends and fellow podcast listeners, for your support on Patreon, for coming to hang out with us every week on Done and Done. Y'all are simply the very, very best. Stay tuned. Newport has a whole lot of surprises coming your way. 
Until we meet again, friends, you know that I want you to stay curious and keep on investigating. Big love, y'all. Bye. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Thanks for listening to the Done and Done podcast, a Hemlock Creatives production. You can email us at doneanddone at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at doneanddonepodcast. For further information about our episodes or sources, you can find us online at www.doneanddone.com. See you next week, friends.